take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Paul starts with a question and says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Do we who died to sin live any longer in? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we've been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also be in likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of son, sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we all shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died... He died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. These that you have seen, that were baptized today, they have been crucified with Christ. They are no longer alive to sin, but they are dead to sin. And so I want to urge you, consider yourselves, as Paul said, dead indeed to sin, but alive to Christ through God. Amen? Now, baptism is never meant to be just some orchestrated event. Baptism was meant to be an introduction of life, that that happens to Jesus Christ. The tragic thing is that too many times we in the church allow baptism to become just kind of a pomp and circumstance thing, and it becomes a ritual. It never was meant to be that. Otherwise, Jesus would not have been baptized or would he have commanded us to be baptized. But Jesus was baptized and he commanded us and said, be baptized. Why? Because what baptism does is it demonstrates outwardly that that the work of the Holy Spirit has done inwardly. In fact, now many of you realize that during the greeting, a young man came up to me and said, you know what? I'm tired of living my life the way I am. I want to be all in. And he accepted Jesus Christ right up here. Amen. Amen. You see, all in means, God, I'm all in. I'm not going to play games anymore. Now, we live in a world that is full of sin. We live in a world that we see and we combat the issues of sin over and over again. And it's so much so that we have seen in our society that the society has more effect on the church than our church has had in this society. That's not what God meant. Amen? And so what has to happen is, as Christians, we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ. Why? Because he presented him, Jesus, as the sacrifice for us. And as Paul reminds us, he who died to sin died once and for all. In other words, when you are dead to sin, you're dead to sin. Okay? 
There should no longer be the struggle. <laughs> you should be dead to sin. The reason we don't feel dead to sin is because we keep giving room for it. We keep excusing it. In fact, now we've gotten so good, we just kind of change the definition. <laughs> and we say, we change the names so the innocent may be protected. There is no one innocent. We're all guilty of sin. Amen? So let's stop changing the name. Let's start calling it what it is. Sin is sin. The Bible doesn't change. In fact, God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. David declared in Psalm 19, Lord, forever your word is settled in heaven. Jesus said again and again, especially in Luke, he said, My word shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. And so let's not allow the word to be changed, not in our definition, not in the world's definition, but may the word of God be the word of God. Amen? And may that word be a word that we allow to change us as Paul challenges us and James, and a lot of people don't like James because James really gets to it, doesn't he? I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He just goes right down and says, you know what? He said, if you say that you're Christian and you walk in sin, he said, you're double-minded. In fact, I love the analogy he uses. A man that talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk. It's like a man that looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. That sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what he's talking about. That we are called not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Doing the word is that we allow the word of God to change us, that we allow the word of God to transform us because it's a work that happens from the inside out. How many expect when you go fishing that uh, when you catch a fish, it's going to be fried up, seasoned, everything, all set? How many expect that? Nobody. It doesn't happen, does it? In fact, when you get that fish, it's slimy, especially those northern pike, but I tell you what, in a pan, they're so good. <laughs> now, do you expect people to be all cleaned up and seasoned? No. Yet, you know what? There are people that come to church, and I tell you what. Some of us kind of look and go, oh, wow, unbelievable. I can't believe they even came. What's up with that? Jack, can you believe that? I mean, they should know. They don't come to church. You heard Howard's testimony. He was told by the pastor, you're going to hell anyway. Just leave. Just get out of here. That's not church. That's not the grace of God. But neither is coming and pretending. But see, the enemy comes with loaded with guilt and shame and reproach. But thank you, Jesus, that God rolls away the reproach, doesn't he? He rolls it away. His word says he removes our sin from us as far as the east and the west, and he remembers it no more then why do we remember it? Are we better than God that we remember our sin and he forgets? You see, Paul is giving us really a hard word, but he's helping us understand what baptism is really meant to mean. 
You see, we cannot put our faith and our trust in anything we do, only in what Christ has done on the cross. That's why Titus reminds us, it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy that he has saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what baptism is supposed to be. The demonstration of that that Jesus Christ has done in our life. It's that that we should recognize that what Paul is talking about when he says that we are raised with Christ. He's talking about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's that same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ bodily from the dead. It's that in Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If that resurrection life is working in you, you can be dead to sin. You don't have to give in. You don't have to make excuses. In fact, it tells us we need to flee from sin. Amen? Not excuse it. Not change the name to protect the innocent. Remember, remember, nobody's innocent. So don't change the name protect the innocent. Flee. Run. Why? Because it's not who you are. It's maybe who you once were. It maybe once had a hold in you, but you've been set free. You've been born again. Now it's time to live for God. Amen? It's that that he calls us to walk in newness of life. It's that that he calls us to walk in the Spirit. Paul gives us the answer to the struggle. One of my favorite passages growing up was Romans chapter 7. When Paul talks about the struggle, he said, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad I, I don't want to do, I do. And he, he cries out and says, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, some will say to you, don't worry about it. Because what you're doing now must not be sin because your sins are forgiven, right? And so we believe a lie and we just continue living in sin and in bondage, but we fool ourselves saying, well, that's okay because the grace of God has forgiven me. That's why Paul started Romans 6 saying, so when there's sin and grace abounds, should we sin more so there's more grace? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't say ridiculous. I just threw that in there. But he's saying, certainly not. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? So therefore, we don't excuse sin. Therefore, we don't just make excuses. We don't change the name. We simply recognize, God, this is not who I am. And so I'm going to live for you. And thank you that you give me your Holy Spirit, that I can be set free, that I don't have to give in to temptation. Now, has anybody here not ever been tempted? Anybody? Wow, so there's nobody here that's perfect. We're all in the family of God because of Jesus Christ. And we are not perfect, are we? Yet we are what? Forgiven. Say it. Forgiven. We are forgiven. You know what happens when we choose not to be forgiven and not to forgive? In fact... <laughs> This is how the enemy allows a foothold and gets a foothold in our life. And this is how he begins to put us into bondage. It's when we choose to be unchristlike. And so when Jesus forgave us when we didn't deserve it, and yet somebody else needs forgiveness, and we decide not to forgive him because we were offended, guess who we choose to become like? 
the father of lies. And so we make association with the enemy. That's why we get into bondage. We are Christ's. If you've been born again, you belong to Jesus. Therefore, present yourself as instruments of righteousness to God. Say, Pastor, you don't deserve to be forgiven. Neither did you. Well, I've got to wait till I feel like it. (laughs) That may never come. (laughs) Don't wait for that. You make a choice. When you make a choice, God will help you. He will. It's his promise. We see the example throughout Scripture of people struggling with sin. In fact, if you look, Paul's letters, his epistles to the churches, were dealing with people that were all messed up. So guess what? We're in good company. The Galatian church, man, they were a mess. I mean, they were really a mess. The Galatian church, they were struggling so much with sin that they decided that, you know what, we, we really can't trust in God anymore because we don't know if he's really working in me, and so I don't know what's happening in me. And so they decided that they were going to trust in their own actions. And so baptism became just a ritual. In fact, they did a lot of religious things because they wanted something that was very concrete, something they could see, they could put their hands on, something that they could, they could say, hey, I did that, therefore I'm good. And so the Galatians did that. And Paul said, who has bewitched you that you now should trust in your works? Did Jesus die for nothing? And Paul had some serious talks with the Galatians. In fact, what happened is they became so religious in their spirit, but so ungodly in their actions, that Paul, in the fifth chapter, begins to name some sins. It's probably those things that he saw happening there. Now, obviously, this list is not an exhaustive list. But you begin to look at those, and you begin to look at that list, and Paul said, these are works of the flesh, and if you do them, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Said together, not. But today, we just kind of change that and say, ah, it's all good. It's okay. God accepts everybody. Yes, he does but only through Jesus Christ and only under the blood. My friend, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that means when he redeemed us, that his redeeming power is still working in us. Yes, you may struggle, but my friend, draw closer to God. Flee from sin and draw closer to God. Because the more you do, the less sin becomes an alert to you. In fact, after a while, it's like, did I ever want that? Don't you love Barry's testimony? I'm not a pothead. (laughs) It's not who I am. I'm a child of God. And there's some point we must say, I am dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. There is some point we must stand up and say, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. I'm not playing games anymore. It's that that Paul talked about in Galatians. In fact, beginning in May, excuse me, June, I'm already a month behind. It's that snow that messed me up, I'm telling you. (laughs) 
Don't you hate that? You're just getting used to spring and wanting spring, and all of a sudden, boom. It's like, what? In June, we're going to start a series called Life in the Spirit. Because there's another list that Paul gives us in Galatians, and it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about that these, this fruit is that that should be evident, an evidence of the work of the Spirit in us. In other words, when the Spirit is working in us, there should be evidence of this fruit because this is the fruit that should be seen in a Christian. And it's so awesome. It's that that Paul says, works the flesh, here it is, evident. If you're doing that, not going to heaven. Boom, bottom line. Fruits of the Spirit, that should be evident in your life. Isn't it awesome how Paul just kind of lays it out for him, just says, this is it. Then the Ephesians. I could go book by book and, and church by church, but I, just one more because we're, we're, yeah, I'm out of time. I need one minute. Anybody give me a minute? One, two, three, four. I got at least 15 minutes right here. Okay. <laughs> the Ephesian church, here's where their mess up was. The Ephesian church began to think it was all about the work of the flesh and all about trying to combat it in the flesh. And so they were struggling and trying to combat it with their own flesh. And every time they tried to combat it, you know what happened? They fell back into sin. Every time they tried to overcome it in their own authority, in their own power, they fell short. And so Paul had to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not warfare in the flesh and the blood. This is spiritual warfare. And he had to help them understand that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so he reminded the church, this is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. So don't approach it physically. Now, these are just two examples Paul gives us to help us understand this. My friend, we are a new creation in Christ. Baptism is a celebration of that that the Holy Spirit has done inside. Now it's time to live for Jesus. Now it's time to recognize I am no longer a child of the enemy, Satan. I am a child of God. I am not an instrument for unrighteousness. I am an instrument for righteousness. It's that that Jesus Christ has purchased me for. Therefore, I am going to live for Jesus. I am all in. There's a passage that we take and we use often in Romans 8.1. I love it because some actually believe in the canonization of Scripture when they begin to kind of divide it up, that actually Romans 8.1 should have been part of Romans 7. Remember Romans 7? When Paul talked about the struggle with sin, the bad and the good, the good he wanted to do and the bad he didn't want to do, and he said, who would deliver him from his body of death? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a powerful passage. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation toward those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You see, the enemy has no authority any longer. When he tries to lie to you, you heard it from Meg. She gave the testimony. And God told her, no, no, that's not who you are. The words that your father spoke about you, that's not who you are. The words the Heavenly Father speaks about you, that's who you are. But you see, 
Here's the place that many times we miss. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit. For you see, when you walk according to the Spirit, the resurrection power is working in your life because you are allowing. You are allowing that. You are saying, Lord, I'm all in. Spirit of God, have all of me. Work in me. And he will. In fact, that's where Romans 11 gets so exciting because you realize that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead bodily, now think about this, Jesus Christ was dead. I mean, his body was meat, right? There isn't a depiction that he's even made. The only one that came close is, we saw it, Passion of the Christ. Most of you saw that. That's the only thing that came close, but that still didn't even represent what Jesus went through. His body was unrecognizable. Isaiah the prophet talked about that. Unrecognizable. The Romans perfected persecution. They perfected pain. Yet the Holy Spirit bodily raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's why it says, if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he gives life to your mortal bodies. You don't have to wait for heaven and say, I don't have to worry about sin and want to just get to heaven because there won't be sin in heaven. Because the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and gives life to your mortal bodies. That's why Paul says, now therefore there is no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus for those who walk by the Spirit. Because you say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all in. Holy Spirit, have all of me. And you know what? He'll help you. He will. So let's stop making excuses. Let's start living for God. Start challenging one another. Encourage one another. Why do you think there is so much attack against the Word of God? They tried to wipe it out in the early time. <laughs> Couldn't happen. We'll close with this. Charles Wesley in the late 1700s was part of a revival that he saw begin to shake up the church as they knew it. Church was no longer the same after that. He penned the words to a song as a testimony of that revival. And the testimony was, he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. Think about that. Some of you recognize that song right off. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. If you are here this morning and you're struggling with sin, can I tell you that Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin? He canceled it when he died on the cross. Sin has no power over you. It's canceled. 
sin's decree against you is canceled. It's canceled. It's done. Charles Wesley saw that. It shook up the church. In fact, people left the church in droves because they said, this isn't the church that I grew up with. And Charles said, that's cool because God's doing a new thing. God's about to do a new thing. I said, God's about to do a new thing. And it's time that we begin to look for what he wants to do in us. Amen? It may not look like it has looked. You don't know. We don't know. But in the late 1700s, and then it happened again in the 1800s, happened again in the 1900s. It's happening again. It's happening in China. It's happening in Indonesia. It's happening in South America, in Argentina. God's pouring out his spirit. My friend, it's God's time for America. Amen. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you break the power of canceled sin. Thank you that you set the prisoner free. Thank you that your blood can make the foulest clean. <laughs> it includes all of us. And thank you that that blood's availed for me. And so, Lord, we just come right now. And we give testimony in agreement to your word this morning. And say yes to you. And say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. If that's your heart this morning, and you mean that, I want you to lift both your arms right now. Both your arms to heaven and say, Lord, I'm all in. Just tell them. Tell them right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And if there's a sin that's got a hold of you, it's got a hold on you, and you know that. Right now, I want you to declare that and say, your power has been canceled at the cross. You need to, you need your, your ears need to hear you saying that, okay? And then say, Lord, I'm yours. Break the power of this canceled sin. Now just thank him. Say, can it be that simple? Yes, it can. <laughs> because he did it. His work was finished at the cross. Walk in that finished work. Father, I just thank you <laughs> that, Lord, you set the captive free. And God, I thank you that there's going to be some free living in here. <laughs> there's going to be people that are going to be walking in liberty. And God, I thank you that you're opening their eyes, God, to new things. God, I thank you that you're opening their eyes, God, to your word, that they can begin to see and know what your word is saying. Thank you, Father. I just give you praise for that. Lord, I thank you, God, for Donnie that gave his heart to you this morning. 
God, I thank you, Father, for these that testified that they're all in. I thank you, Father, this morning, Lord, that we have witnessed, God, the work of your Holy Spirit in us. And God, may the world now witness it. May it not be hid behind four walls, but, Father, may it be shouted now from the mountaintops. May it be reverberated, God, at every place in a public venue, Father, until all know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name.